You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be kicking off our build-up towards the North London derby. It's the big one this Saturday, and who better to join me uh, to start that build-up than the brilliant Mike Stavry. Welcome back to the show, Mike. How are you, first of all, mate? Yeah, mate, I'm very well. I'm very well. I've uh, you've been a busy guy since I last spoke to you. You got you got a little baby. You... <laughs> mate, every single time I speak to you, it's like some something new, some sort of not drama, but do you know what I mean, some sort of news. I know, I know, and uh, I kind of just want life to just settle and just be easy, man. But no, <laughs> never no. does, man. Never yeah, does. Exactly. That jokes aside, obviously uh, delighted uh, with the birth and and all that. But I've got to admit. I've had very little sleep over the last week. And the first few days, I was kind of riding on adrenaline. And I was like, yeah, you know what? This isn't so bad. I was sleeping three, four hours a night and sort of getting through it. Because even when you're not the one getting up, it still wakes you up. Yeah, and, it's, awesome. yeah, and it drives you absolutely mad. But now I'm feeling the crash a little bit. So what better than a North London derby to lift me up again and get me buzzed? Um, Mike, we haven't spoken in a while. We haven't done a, a podcast together for a couple of weeks now. And a lot has changed in the Arsenal world since we last spoke. Arsenal have uh, registered successive victories in the Premier League. Two clean sheets against Norwich City and Burnley. Obviously, that win last night in the Carabao Cup against AFC Wimbledon mm-hmm. as well. Uh, sort of maintaining that momentum as we build up towards the derby. First of all, I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the new signings. And I, I know you didn't see the game last night. Like a lot of people, it was very difficult to... In fact, it was impossible to access it because it simply wasn't being broadcast. So unless you were in the ground, you would have struggled. Um, but kind of based on what you have seen up until now, what have you made of some of the new signings? Because I think a lot of them have have shown promise at the start of their Arsenal careers. And I guess I wanted to begin with getting your thoughts on Aaron Ramsdale and whether or not for you, he is the number one now. Yeah, so Ramsdale, because we did a lot of uh, sort of transfer window pods. And um, I think the discourse from both of us was, you know, we've got nothing against Ramsdale. Um didn't really have a huge, you know, back catalogue of uh, of games that that we'd watched of him, um, and we were both sort of like, well, we're spending thirty million pounds, thirty five million pounds on a goalkeeper when really we need a centre midfielder and we need a, a striker. So I think, like, that's what it started as, and we we're thinking, all right, well, you know, we'll, we'll give him a go. And I don't think I, I can't speak for you, but for myself, I was not expecting to see Ramsdale this early. I was thinking he'd play in the Cups. I was thinking he'd play maybe if Leno had an absolute shocker later in the season and he, you know, was thrown in. And But to be thrown in so early, I've I've been a bit a bit shocked, to be honest with you. Um, and maybe it was because of what Arteta saw in the, in the West Brom game. Maybe he did see, you know, his, his clear qualities that he has in terms of his dominance of the ball. Uh, he's, he's a vocal guy. His organisation um, and 
his ability with the feet. And maybe Mikel saw that and thought, you know what, I need to give him a go sooner rather than later. Do you think that then? Do you, do you think that it was, I'm going to bed him in, but then he impressed and so he rushed it? Or do you think it was the plan all along? Well, I don't, I don't know. I think if it was the plan all along, maybe he would have started the season. I think if he wanted him to be number one from the outset, I think he maybe would have started. But Leno obviously started, conceded a lot of goals. I know obviously that wasn't all his fault. But I think from what from what we've seen so far... Uh, based on the performances, yeah, it hasn't been against high-level opposition. But what we've seen so far, you can't drop him. So I think what I like about him is those things which we said. Like, And we start, spoke about it a lot in the summer as well. A lot of it isn't necessarily a football thing, but it's a spirit thing. It's a character thing. And it's something that we've not seen in our players or a lot of our players for a long time, that you know, clear passion and desire that willingness to give a hundred percent every single time you go on the pitch and I get that vibe from Ramsdale and you know even that that thing um I can't remember if it is in the Norwich I think it was the Burnley game when he sort of uh protected Ashley Westwood from uh you know telling off Tierney when he was on the ground like that sort of thing is like okay I know fans can buy into that stuff and read into it a little bit but for me from like a journalistic standpoint I see that as as, as a character and I see that as the sort of guy you want in your dressing room and Leno he's been here a long time not he's not really got that sort of personality I don't think and he does make mistakes even though he's a he's a good goalkeeper in terms of shot stopping so Ramsdale I mean I've just been I wouldn't say shocked but I've been pleasantly surprised at what I've seen so far I didn't think I'd see him this much this early and I don't think there's any way you can drop him I don't know at the moment anyway yeah completely agree I mean People have, have been making the point to me today that Bern Leno came in last night and that he kept a clean sheet. But I think we have to be able to separate what happened last night against, with all due respect, League One opposition uh, between that and, and what what went on in the last couple of Premier League games. And I think you're right. I, I feel the same. I feel pleasantly surprised by what I've seen from Ramsdale. And I think you're right. I think that the spirit thing is a lot to do with it. I think the fact that we just were persisting with players who just had shown so many times over the years that they were never going to change. They were never going to pick up their level. There was always going to be those individual errors, etc., etc. that Mikel Arteta almost got to a point where he was just fed up and just wanted to wipe the slate clean and start again. And I would say that this is not the first time if indeed Mikel Arteta did kind of feel like he was forced into throwing Ramsdale in. I would say this is not the first time that Mikel Arteta... It, during his managerial tenure has got to the point where things have been so bad that he's had to make a drastic change and then we've benefited from it. The change mm. in formation last season and, and the emergence of Smith-Rowe and Saka and well Saka was already there but Smith-Rowe coming in and then you know he played Martinelli against Chelsea and he, and he looked really good and it was almost as though things got so bad that he was forced to change it and then we benefited from that and I feel like with the goalkeeping situation Having seen the start to the season, how poorly it went, having not been convinced by Bern Leno, he almost got to the point where he just thought, F it, I'm going to chuck Ramsdale in. And now yeah. I think, you know, we're going to see the benefit from that moving forward. Uh, just before we go on, I want to say a big thank you to Vikash for your very, very kind uh, super chat donation, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, a few more hellos as well. Let's say uh, a big hello to James, to Omar, to Creambone, to Divesh, to Nathan, to Abel, to Paul. 
uh, Yo-Yo, to Rashid, to Rinat, to Weedy, to all of you. Thank you uh, all so much uh, for tuning in live. And of course, to everybody who'll be watching or listening to this back a little bit later on. Um, in terms of the new signings then, what have you made of, of Ben White? Because he is one that I think has divided opinion. I don't think it's been as clear cut with Ben White. It's clear he's very comfortable on the ball and he brings certain attributes to the defence. But he's looked a bit suspect in certain moments up until now. What have you made of him since his arrival? Yeah, I think with Ben White, it was always going to be the case of we're not buying the finished product. Um, we're spending £50 million on a player that has potential to be you know, world-class, but is not anywhere near that yet. And I think that's what you're going to get. I think when you invest in that sort of player, you have to have to take the, the bad with the good and the good with the bad. And we've seen both sides. Um, I think against Burnley, it was sort of um, a big learning curve for him because in the first half, I thought he really struggled, got caught under the ball a few times, um, you know, against Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood. It's about the toughest challenge physically you're going to get in the Premier League. So I felt... He really did struggle in the first half of that game, but I thought next to Gabriel, he grew in confidence. Um, and from an aerial standpoint, I thought he was really good in the second half. He sort of learned, he learned to battle a little bit more. He's winning a lot more headers. Um, he, you know, a few vital blocks in there. Next to Gabriel, he did he did look solid. But then again, what we didn't see, which is what we were supposed to be getting, was that ability on the ball when he sort of you know dawdled a few times. Um but his passing wasn't wasn't up to scratch. You know, he sort of made a few decisions where you're thinking, oh, I'm not sure. I should have gone back to the goalkeeper there instead of trying to find that pass forward. And you think, okay, this is against Burnley, whereas, you know, as much as they are good in the air, they're not like a heavy pressing team. And you're going to face a lot more pressure than that in other games. And he's been caught out before, I think, um, in in other games, I think, Um Especially against against Chelsea played right. It was the Man City game he missed through COVID. Am I right yeah, in thinking yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in that one, obviously he struggled a bit, but that that was a difficult game. And um, I just think, yeah, it's it's a bit fifty fifty for me. But I think we've got the right sort of profile again. Like I spoke about Ramsdale, I think he's he's a little bit similar in that sort of sense. I think he's a you know young British. Um, obviously passionate player that I think is going to evolve with our team. And, I, and when I look at it and I think we've got Ramsdale, um, Ben White, and then someone like Emil Smith-Rowe, that is a pretty like good young core to be building around, I think, and to be looking towards the future. I think there's going to come tougher tests, as I said, for Ben White. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how that centre-back partnership with Gabriel flourishes because I think they're the best two we have. And he's certainly better than our other options. So he should get like loads and loads of games. They should be the starting pair. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm unconvinced. I just, I think I need to see more. Whereas from Ramsdale, from what I've seen so far, 100%, it's all good. With Ben White, it's not all good. So I think reserve judgment a little bit. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right. And I think this is a really good point as well from Yo-Yo in the chat. He says it's a new back five. So there are going to be teething issues. Obviously, that whole communication piece and the the kind of the telepathy almost that central defenders look to build between one another is is obviously not there yet. Um, you mentioned that he looks better alongside Gabriel. I, I think so too. I think there's the right balance there because Gabriel does bring that physicality. Um, and and listen, I wasn't surprised to see Ben White physically sometimes be a little bit short or aerially be 
you know, not quite up to it. What I have been surprised with, and I, I mentioned it on the post-match pod after Burnley, was what you said as well, that the, the inability to progress the ball out of the defence. That was what we were told Ben White was going to bring to the table. And he might still do that. But I just thought in the Burnley game, it was really, really lacking. And as you mentioned, Burnley don't press you high up the pitch, especially in the first half. It felt like he had ages and ages and ages on the ball every single time. And yet he was unable to pick out that pass. And if you can't pick out the Emil Smith-Rose and the Martin Odegaards, then I wonder sort of how you're going to get on uh, in games against better opposition. Well, maybe we go for a more functional rather than uh, flair midfield, if that makes sense. Um I also wanted to talk a little bit, uh, Mike, about Martin Odegaard because he's somebody that a lot of people were were unsure about when we signed him. I I was one that was uh, a big fan of his, that wanted him to come back. I felt that at £30-35 million, it represented good value. Right at the start of the summer, I said that if Arsenal held on they would get him and I also said that the deal would be around about 30 to 35 million pounds that that was a fair amount he's come in and I don't know about you but I was delighted that he got that goal against Burnley because it kind of puts that narrative of he doesn't score he doesn't assist and all of that rubbish to bed sorry can you still hear me Harry yep 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 can hear you I think I think my video is just frozen go ahead just slightly don't worry um, yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll continue. I'll continue. Um, yeah, so sorry, just with Ben White as well. I just want to correct myself and say it was the Brentford game I was thinking about. He missed obviously. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, on on Martin Odegaard, I think I was at the time when it was sort of fucking at is it between Madden and Odegaard? Oh, we've lost Mike there. He's uh, disappeared off of the uh, of the podcast. He'll be back in a second, I'm sure. Let me just take some of your comments in quickly uh, while we're waiting for Mike. Uh, to just jump back into the stream. Uh, Big thank you to Vic Ash, who says, love your show, Harry. This is the problem when you record live, right? Um, Rashid on the goalkeeping thing, he says, Leno's a good goalkeeper. That position hasn't been make or break for us. Striker and midfield are more the problem. Uh, Divesh David says, hit those likes. Yes, please do so. Make sure you hit the like button if you haven't done so already. It really, really does help the channel, helps us grow. And um, yeah, hit the like button subscribe if you're new if you want to go one further and become a member you can do so uh, adam joins us all the way from the suburbs of chicago big hello to you adam and thank you uh, for tuning in he says morning all morning over there it's uh, late afternoon here up do you know what i was going to say i wish it was morning but i don't i don't i'm knackered can't wait to hit the sack tonight shit got five aside uh he says morning all as an arsenal supporter in the suburbs of chicago i'm so happy to have found your show slash pod thank you for all you do no thank you my friend for tuning in really really appreciate it uh yonic mac says poor ben white he has the pressure of being compared to the next van dyke week in week out feel for him yeah i I guess with that one yonic look i think that we absolutely have not signed the finish article in, in Ben White. I think Mike alluded to that and I think he was absolutely spot on and, and completely right to make that point. We haven't signed the next Virgil van Dijk, but when you do spend £50 million on a defender, uh, th- there does come a pressure, doesn't there? Uh, Mike is back with us. Uh, I'm back, I'm back. Here he is. Here I was, I was is. talking for ages as well. I was, <laughs> I was banging out some really good points. Go on. Where did, pick, it, where did I finish? Up. You finished at, I just want to correct myself about Ben White. You mentioned that he 
he played in the Brentford game and yeah. missed the other game through COVID. Yeah. And uh, that was it. That was where we got to. So, okay. Uh, all right. Well, I had a whole spiel about Odegaard, which I will recite word for word. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> no, so, so basically with Odegaard, the thing I was thinking at the time, we were sort of deciding between him and James Madison. And I was always in the camp of Odegaard. I know some people like a flashy new toy, don't they? It's something that they haven't seen. I know Madison's numbers, goals-wise, are a bit better than Odegaard's, but I feel like he suited us down to the ground with what we wanted, with what Mikel Arteta wanted from that number 10, someone who has the ability to drop deep, um, can create from deep. I'm not saying he's similar to Ozil, but I'd say he does some of the same things that Ozil did um, by coming a lot deeper to collect the ball and then recycle it and also find that killer pass as well um, at the right time. And that's something, a profile we didn't have in our team. And I don't think Madison is that sort of guy as well. He gets the best out of Aubameyang, which has been really difficult to do. I think um, he has the ability to find him in between the lines, which again is not a profile we have or had within the squad. And when it was that comparison, I was sort of like, why would you go and drop 60, 70 million on a player that you're not sure whether they'll fit, um, how the dynamic will change the team, where you've got someone who's been there for six months who you know can perform. Yeah, all right, he wasn't like, he didn't, he didn't you know, do anything spectacular, but what he did was just really get the team moving, get get that creativity that we we're craving for a long, long time. And that's what that's what we've got again. And I think from what I've seen from him so far, he's slotted straight back in instantly as we as we sort of knew he would and we're reaping the benefits of it. And I think what I'm what I'm impressed with with the last two games, and I know some people have been a little bit critical saying that, you know, it's not quite free-flowing football. And look, it's not. But what I'm seeing is a return to confidence and a bit of a return in terms of chance creation. Obviously, we had like 30 shots against Norwich. We were just not clinical whatsoever. Um, but against Burnley as well, I feel like we had those movements and that sort of fluid movement in the final third. The only thing that was missing was just that, that final ball, that end product. And I think with a bit of confidence, that will come. And we've seen in spells last season, when we can get them all singing from the same hymn sheet, our players can create like that sort of run we went over Christmas. That was free-flowing football. So I know the players can do it. It's just basically putting them in the right environment, putting them in the right mindset in order to do that. And I just hope that these two sort of games in the Premier League, I won't count the uh, the cup, I hope those two games aren't a false dawn for us in terms of how we can build and, and build something. And obviously we're going to chat about the North London derby, but that's the real test now. And if we lose that game, that sort of tiny bit of progress will be, will be lost. So I think it's, it's huge in that sense. Yeah. And completely agree. And, and I'm not going to bore people by going through all the new signings, but the last one I, I wanted to get your thoughts on just before we move onto the North London derby and, and really start picking that apart is Takahiro Tomiyasu. I think we can all agree that Sambi Lekonga has shown some signs of promise. I think we can all agree that Nuno Tavares, who is a backup player, has come in and has shown some real raw ability, probably needs polishing around the edges a little bit, uh, but he's a player. When it comes to Takahiro Tomiyasu, he, for me, has been one of the biggest pluses. I've got to say, what have you made of his start to life in an Arsenal shirt? Yeah, so I was really shocked when he when he started against Norwich. I thought, oh, he's only trained for like a day, two days. Like, there's no way he's going to play. And he sort of came in and was like, I'm not going to say a world beater, but he was impressive. Like, as as right backs can get, he was winning every single duel. I think he did win every single one of his uh, one of his aerial duels that game. 
and uh, he just gave us so much more assurance. And I think this is the long-term plan that, that we were seeing. Harry, I remember like early in Arteta's days, we would we were doing analysis of games and we we're saying the team is so unbalanced. Like we've got, you know, I think Saka was was playing at left back a few times, but mostly it was Tierney. And we're like he's ditched a winger, but there's nothing going on on the other side of the pitch. And at that time, it was Bellerin right back, and we were like, what is going on? And I think now we're starting to see what he has been planning, what he's wanted. Um, and I was saying, like, for a long time of the transfer window, we need a right-back. Like, this is a, one of the number one priority positions. I'd love a striker, but right-back is really where we need strength because we've not had that right sort of player. Um, of course, you can go back and question. That could make you question um, why we did sign someone like Cedric because, obviously, that was under Arteta's watch. Why did we bring him in? Because he's not the sort of player that does that role of when you're playing with the, um, when we transition to a back three and obviously Tierney goes wide left and Pepe goes wide right, whoever it is on the, on the front three joins the sort of back five. And we didn't have that profile. And again, we've added that. And from an individual level, like, yeah, he's, he's, he's great. I don't think he is going to bomb forward. I don't think we're going to see him with too many assists or too many goals, but I think for the sort of system who want to play, I think it's perfect. And also as well, if if that ever does change, I think he could play comfortably as a traditional right back in a back four. I think he could play anywhere, um, either left centre back or right centre back or in a back three. So I think that versatility is is great. And the fact that Arteta has picked him out and said, look, I want to do, I want to change to this system. I want to play this way. And you're going to play in a very specific role, I think is a good thing going forward because... I was talking about I was talking to someone about Oligon Solskjaer um earlier and we we're saying, you know, what is what is the plan essentially? Um and you don't really know. You you don't want really to say what Oligon Solskjaer's style of football is. And I feel like finally, and I know it's off a very small sample size and people will be saying what you're talking about, like you said, Arteta's had no identity. I think we're starting to see that. I'm not saying it's anywhere near done, but I think we're starting to see the beginnings of that the way he wants to play. And Tommy Asu is obviously a big part of that, I think. Big test for Tommy Asu, isn't it, at the weekend, because he's likely to face Hyun-Min Son. Um, but I've got to say, with Tekahiro Tommy Asu playing in that position, I feel a lot more confident than I would have done had it been Cedric or had it been Callum Chambers. Because of, of all those attributes you've mentioned, he, he feels like a centre-back with the mobility of a fullback. He's got mm. the physical power he's strong he's aerially dominant he's he's got all of that but he has um that mobility as well to to kind of play as a fullback and you don't look at him and fear he's going to get massively exposed for pace there will be players that will be quicker than him you know there's no doubt about that but i it's not a glaring weakness in tommy asu's game for me and also we talked about ramsdale and we've talked about odegaard in the past with regards to their attitude and, and seeming as though they have that right mindset and a and are really committed to the cause. And and Tommy Asu has that too, doesn't he? You can see it. Yeah. I was thinking, Harry, like, as you were talking, like, when's the last time we had a right back that is actually a good defender? Like, I think you've got to go back to, like, back to Bakary Sanyo. I think that's the last sort of yeah. good defensive, solid right back that we've had. And that's been a long, long time since he left the club. So, you know, we've we've been through them all. And Debushi, um, even like like Bellerin, like as good as he is, and as good as he was, or how as promising as he, as he was, I don't think he's really fulfilled that. He was always a sort of marauding fullback. We've not had that sort of defensive mould come in, and it's just like adding extra options, extra 
ability to the squad that we haven't previously had. And I'm I'm excited about him. Like you wouldn't probably say you'd be excited about a right back, but Tommy Asu is just something about him. I just he just doesn't look like getting beaten while it went one on one. He doesn't look like getting beaten in the air. And it's not a lot of like fullbacks you can say that for. Like he's not the traditional or traditional he's not the modern fullback, I don't think. And yeah. to to some that might surprise them. But I sort of drew a comparison when I saw Emerson Royale um in the first week, the his debut for Spurs and uh, Tommy Asu made his debut in the same weekend, and the difference between them was just like night and day. Like, and a lot of our fans, I think, were sort of peddling for us to go in for Emerson, and I think I'm glad we went Tommy Asu in the end. That's the thing; you hit the nail on the head. He's not a traditional modern day fullback, but Mikel Arteta's system doesn't need a traditional modern day fullback and and that's the key isn't it and that's why we're starting to see some emergence now of of a, a plan of an understanding of a of an end goal the beginning sorry like, the begin- we have yeah. to make that clear don't we yeah and and yeah. this is why so many arsenal fans have have become frustrated and i i you know i get it i get why people feel that way this should have been this beginning that we're talking about now probably should have been a year ago and and that's yeah. you know that's that's where we're at. Um, let's take a couple of comments and then we'll we'll move on. Uh, Tommy says uh, Tommy Asu is an athletic beast and probably the biggest Japanese man I've ever seen. Also seems to have a great mentality and work ethic. What a steal! Uh, Yonick says I like Tommy Asu. He's actually one of the only players I watched before we signed him, but he doesn't offer us much going forward because he's naturally a centre back. But again, I re-emphasise that point. I don't think this system is geared to doing that anyway is geared to getting the right back that high up the pitch uh nico says i agree i think tommy asu's a modern fullback he's just not a wing back interesting uh let's see i'm going to take one more before we move on in fact i'm not because they'll take us off topic so we'll we'll come back to the comments in a little bit let's uh switch our focus now solely to the north london derby of course arsenal take on spurs at the emirates stadium this sunday there is right now Two days, 23 hours and 44 minutes until kickoff. Uh, 4.30pm at the Emirates Stadium. It's live on Sky Sports here in the UK. And if you look back at last season's meetings, Arsenal 2-1 winners at the Emirates Stadium back in March. But we did lose at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium uh, back in December. So one victory each. First of all, how are you feeling going into this game, Mike? Because I'm feeling as though... Although Mikel Arteta's got a couple of wins in the in the bag now, this is a massive game for him. And it's one that can could either be, in the eyes of a lot of people, the final nail in his Arsenal coffin, mm. or it could be the game that buys him that little bit more goodwill with some of the fans that are, are, are doubting him at the moment and leads to Arsenal finally starting to level out in terms of where we expect them to be. Yeah, so I think... We couldn't really have come into it post international break in a in a better way. Like after the events of the first three games of the season, it was absolute disastrous. We all know that. And from what we've seen from Norwich, from Burnley, from Wimbledon as well, I'm not going to include that one too much because again, you know, low level opposition. But I think we've reacted the perfect way. We've obviously kept clean sheets, not scored a bunch, but I think we've done what we need to do and. In those games against Norwich and Burnley, I was never sort of any any fear of us losing or 
us dropping points. I just didn't. I just felt like we controlled it, controlled games, which is again what we've not had for a long time. And I'm not feeling as nervous as I usually do before the North London derby because I feel like Spurs are just terrible. Like I'm not Spurs don't concern me. I really don't look at them and think, oh my god, like they're a really you know progressive team, or oh my god, they've got loads and loads of threats. Because when when you look at it, yeah, they did beat Man City um, on in the on the first weekend of the season, but after that, like what have they really done since then? Um, and just watching them against Chelsea, like they just collapse. Like we've seen performances like that from Arsenal in, in, in big games, um, and it's horrible to be on the on the wrong end of. Obviously, when it Spurs is funny, but I mean. To actually capitulate like that, and do you know what I took a lot of joy in, like the sort of pundits like Sunus and and Keane just like ripping into Spurs because it's always us, it's always us that they go in on, and to see it for Spurs was actually quite enjoyable. And they were right essentially, like they just didn't put enough in. They they sort of gave up in in the second half, and you can't really expect that from professional footballers. And even though we've suffered some heavy defeats this season, I don't think we've ever given up. I think we've been outclassed, but I don't think we've sort of down tools, which is what Spurs did in the second half against Chelsea. So that's the reason I'm not worried. Obviously, you know, the cliche that form goes out the window when it's North London Derby Day. Yes, I understand that. But when I look at Spurs under Nuno, you could argue similarly to us. I don't know what they're about. I don't know um, whether they're a complete defensive team that, that tried to like transition quick. Um, I don't know whether Nuno tried to change it a bit against against Chelsea. And that's why they were bad. They tried to be on the front foot a bit. So again, changing philosophy, changing tactics, changing style. Um, I don't know what really to, to expect from them. Uh, obviously, Harry Kane is in dire form. He's, he's not scored this season. He obviously wanted a, a move away in the summer. That didn't happen. So I think there's a lot of elements of this Spurs team that don't really concern me. Um, so I'd much rather focus on ourselves and I think again what we need to do is just put everything out there um, and um, I don't want to see us defend against Spurs I want to see us take the game to them I want to see us approach like we did um, in the other games not in terms of like going full fire ahead but with the same system like, I want to see uh, a sitter in party I want to see two more forward thinking midfielders around him I just think that's the way we need to go at the game I think we need to take it to them. We're at home. Um, we, we've won three games on a bounce. I think we need to be positive. If we sit back and like sort of worry about what Spurs could do to us with with Kane and Son, I think we're going to almost be taking one step backwards. I agree with a lot of that. The only thing is, uh, and and a couple of people have pointed it out in the in the chat box. Spurs' biggest strength for me is is on the counter attack. So I think we need to be quite wary of what they can do on the transition and one of the things that I will give Mikel Arteta praise for a lot of people um, you know refuse to see any of the positives that he's brought to the table since he joined the club but I do think we manage transitions better under Mikel Arteta than we have done under Wenger under Emery and I think that he'll be aware of that I think he'll understand that that is uh, Spurs' biggest threat almost Um, I guess you're right when you say that we couldn't have come into it in better sh- uh, in better shape. Obviously, wins against Norwich, wins against Burnley, uh, Spurs the opposite. They started the season with two wins uh, against uh, Manchester City, or three wins in mm. fact, Manchester City, Wolves, and Watford, and then they lost at Crystal Palace, and then they were beaten at home comprehensively by Chelsea. So, I think yeah, we've got the upper hand. I, I 
I'm not a big believer of this. The form goes out of the window for a derby, but it is a, a very unique game, isn't it? And I think that you, yeah. you need to you need to kind of take that into consideration. Atmosphere is going to be uh, cracking. I'm really, really looking forward to it. But I think for me, this is. I don't want to say it's a do not lose because when you say that, it's almost as though you're you're kind of giving up the the right to win, or you feel like you can't win. I think Arsenal certainly can win but I just for me it's it, it, the reason I'm so nervous about this derby is not because of Spurs like you said it's because of this ability and this tendency that Arsenal have to to self-destruct and the consequences mm. that will have on Mikel Arteta because even though this season I've asked serious questions of him I've questioned whether he is the right man I've I've started to wonder if he'll ever get it right I desperately do want him to succeed and I feel like succeeding in this one-off fixture could go such a long way in buying him some goodwill and keeping that momentum going. So that then if we do go to Brighton, who are in excellent form at the moment, and even come away with a point, because we'd won the North London derby, people will look at it and say, well, that's a good point, rather than that overreaction that we get every time yeah. we don't win a game. So I think he needs it. I think he needs the breathing space. One question I want to ask you, Harry, does Shaka come straight back in? Because it, this is something I've been thinking point. about. Because, because for me, like I, I look at that balance we've had in the last two games, and yes, I know we have to, you know, caveat that by saying that it was against Norwich and Burnley. I understand that, but I just think we look so much more balanced, and we look like we're actually going to score when we play with Smith Rowe and Odegaard in midfield, like for the second half of Norwich for the for the full game of Burnley. And I, I know what you're talking about when Spurs in transition and. I think they did that well against Man City, but I've not seen that again afterwards. I think they've scored one goal from from open play. And I just think they're not sort of up to Nuno speed as as he wants them to be. I think he obviously has a clear philosophy, but for whatever reason, injuries, team selection, Kane not informed, they've not quite been able to, you know, settle into that counter-attacking play they've shown it in in glimpses but they're not able to do it for for a whole game that's why they don't concern me but and I know we do need to be wary of that but I just think I I wouldn't put Xhaka straight back in he will be he would have been out cold a little bit you know he's, he's not played in a while and he's not played in this sort of new look system that we tried the last two games so I, I don't know I don't know i yeah so I agree with you that we've changed the balance of our midfield it seems and we we look as though we want to play in a different way i also think getting look i think that the criticism he received off the back of that sending off was overblown it's a it's a it's a challenge that could be a red card but am i absolutely sure it was no if it happens at the emirates stadium do i think he gets sent off no so I think that in a lot of ways, the crowd got him sent off there. I think that the whole circumstance, Arsenal mm -hmm. being beaten and, and everything seemingly going wrong and then him making that challenge obviously was kind of the perfect storm. He got shown the red card and then it was the, you know, the normal response when it's with regards to Xhaka. How could he do something so stupid, etc., etc., etc. And he went away, picked up COVID. First of all, we don't know how fit Granite Xhaka is. Only Mikel Arteta and the player and those within the club will, will understand exactly what his condition is like at this moment in time. I think whatever you think of him to bring him back after three games out and having suffered with COVID in a game of this magnitude, 
represents a huge risk. I think that if Thomas Partey was unavailable, then I'd put him in because I think you need that senior midfield player in there. But I think because Thomas Partey got through most of the game at Burnley, got an hour under his belt uh, against Wimbledon last night because he wanted the fitness, because he wanted uh, to get up to speed, I think means that Granit Xhaka should not come into this side. I, I really do. I, mm. There's no justification for it. And if he puts him back in the side and the result doesn't go as we'd like it, it's handing the fans that are already on your back an opportunity to, to kind of really lay into you and, and really lay it on thick, I guess. So, no, I wouldn't put him back into the side. But what I would say is I'm not sure that I would go with the midfield we played against Burnley because I feel that might be too lightweight. I'm expecting Tottenham to play with Hoiberg in the middle. I'm expecting them to probably partner him up with somebody like Skip, who isn't a technically great player, but he's, he's a grafter. He's a hard worker. And I think if you go with a centre midfield with Partey sitting on his own and then you stick Odegaard in there and you stick Smith Rowe in there, that you might be leaving us a little bit lightweight. And and I know we want to play on the front mm. foot, but I think there needs to be a little bit more balance. So my midfield would be Partey and Lokonga. And then I think you've got to make the decision on, on Smith Rowe, Odegaard, Saka, Pepe, who plays out of those guys. But if it's... Partey and Lokonga, I'm 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 fine with that, and I'm fine with Xhaka being left out. Yeah, that's I, I think that's probably a fair way to look at it. Um, I I wouldn't put Xhaka in for, probably because the reasons that you said. Don't know if he's fit. We don't know what sort of you know how sharp he is. He, he's not played in a while. He's obviously had COVID as well. We don't really know what we're going to be getting. And you know, for all of his 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 good parts, he can be a liability at times. He can. He can give the ball away. He can be caught on the ball. He can make silly, reckless tackles uh, like we saw the other week. So I wouldn't put him back in. I guess what I'm thinking with that more attacking player is that we are at home and I think we are the more confident side at the moment. And you sort of want to take advantage of that. It's just whether do you trust someone like Smith Rowe enough to sort of do that defensive work? Can he do that? Or do you sort of lean on a more sort of defensive mind and look longer? It'll be interesting to see, um, and it'll be interesting to see what what sort of um, team that that Spurs put out. Because if they go with the likes of Kane, Son, Bergwijn, and maybe Lucas Moura, like you you can't get away with playing someone like Smith Rowe next to Party or Odegaard and Party and Smith Rowe. Because I think again, like you say, you would get overwhelmed, and Party wouldn't be able to do that all on his own. So I think it is one that needs to keep an eye on, but. For me, the most important thing is just playing on the front foot. I don't want to see us play defensively against Spurs. I just think at, at, the, at this moment in time, we are the better team and we need to take the game to them and we need a bit of excitement back. Like There's been quite a few drab North London derbies over the years, the last few years, and I think we need to lay down a marker. And, and going back to what you said about Arteta, you're right that this, if he does beat Spurs and we beat Spurs, it, it gives a lot, a lot of goodwill and fans will, you know, give him a bit more time and it, it just feels like every single game it's like we're on the edge of a disaster with our fan base and it's like if we lose against Spurs you're right and then we draw against Brighton it's like oh you know one clock's point ticking. six yeah, yeah. when's he gonna enough. go like you know he, he needs to get sacked and like I I mentioned United earlier because even though I think Ole is not 
a great manager. Like it's just weird how every single game, even when they do win, like when they beat West Ham, there was like fans saying Ole out. It's like you got to sort of think about the timing of these things. Like it has to make sense. Like you're not going to get rid of a manager five, six games into a season. So let's try and be a little bit calm about it. And if we do, you know, not get the result that we want, and maybe if it's a draw, maybe in, in defeat, I think the context has to be applied to that. Um, but yeah, I do, I do agree with what you're saying. Like fan, if Jacker does have plays and he has a disaster class, I think they will use that to sort of, you know, They'll hang to, to, to attack our tail. Yeah, they will. Yeah. Absolutely. They will. So the thing is, having said all of that, I wouldn't be surprised if Mikel does throw him in the team. Because he, he clearly has a great relationship with him. He clearly trusts him, sees him as part of his leadership group. Uh, and I do think that there is a very good chance that he does come into the side. Yeah. wouldn't be my choice, but I think there's a good chance. I also think Harry Kane's probably going to score as well because um, he he's not does. been in amazing form. Obviously scored in the Carabao Cup but against Arsenal. He just, he just always does, as you said. Um, there's an interesting question in the chat uh, from Dio Gene who says, uh, Laka or over Harry? Uh, would you play behind the defence or create chance? So he's asking who should lead the line for Arsenal. Now, I've mm. got to be honest. I normally talk a lot about how important Lacazette is to our build-up play, how he gives us more as a centre-forward overall, but isn't as cold a finisher as Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. It's always been the way I've seen it. The issue for me is watching Lacazette last night, and I know he's not played a lot of football this season. I didn't think he looked very good. I didn't think he looked very convincing. I didn't think he held the ball up well enough. I didn't think he combined with those around him often enough. Having said that, he would, if he plays on Sunday, be playing alongside two completely different flank players and probably a different creative midfielder who would get in and amongst him and probably would combine with him a little bit better. So for me, I'm sticking with Aubameyang up top for the weekend. What's your take on that? And uh, how do you see the centre-forward situation? Yeah, I would usually say Lacazette nine times out of ten. I've got to be honest. I think when he's in form, he's the best overall centre-forward we have. I think he's sort of hold-up play back into defenders. He's, he's great at that. Um, but in terms of what's happening at the moment, and as I mentioned earlier with, with Odegaard, I think Odegaard unlocks Aubameyang. And if you do want that one chance that we might have to fall to strike it, it's going to be Aubameyang over Lacazette. So I think he has to play for that reason and, and that reason only. Will the ball stick a bit less up top when you don't have Lacazette and you've got Aubameyang in his place? Yeah, of course. But I think with the sort of newish system with a more the more creative players, I think we can almost forgive a bit of that hold-up play, a bit of link-up play that Lacazette gives and, and throw Aubameyang in there because the players behind him can do it. Because I think the big issue is, or was, sorry, when we didn't have that creative player and uh, Odegaard wasn't there, we were re relying on Lacazette to do a lot of that sort of creativity for us mm. and drop him really deep and, you know, um, playing balls in and, and, and linking up play. Whereas I think the players behind him now in the current way we're set up I think they can they have the ability to do that for the striker whereas before that that wasn't there so I would go Aubameyang and I think he's due a North London derby goal like Harry Kane is so yeah don't disagree with that and this is just going back briefly just to that Xhaka thing because I think this is an interesting point from Matt he says I don't want Xhaka to stop but is there an argument to include him over Laconga as he understands the importance 
of the North London derby. I just think at this point, if I'm Mikel Arteta, first of all, I'm trying to sell this project as being a project for the future. And I'm trying to sell the idea of him building this new team. Therefore, I think fans would be more understanding in the event of a defeat if it was with a bunch of young players coming through who could essentially learn from the experience. The other thing is he's so far down the line with some fans, Mikel Arteta, in terms of their desire to see him leave the club, that it's a decision that the negatives and the repercussions that could come off of it if Arsenal don't win outweigh the positives that Xhaka brings to the side. That's how I see it now. And I think that he'd be almost... It's like going into a casino and knowing that you've you've got no money but gambling more than you have on the roulette table on red. And then if it hits black, you're completely screwed. And if it hits red, you've only doubled a little bit of money that you won. It's, it, the risk doesn't... The risk doesn't you know marry up with the reward I, that's how i see it i don't know i don't know um but we'll uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday. i've never heard that, that analogy before harry but fair, fair enough well look if you've got only a little bit of money left in your pocket you've got a tenner yeah. in your pocket and that's for your dinner okay and you go into a roulette table and you put the tenner on red or black you put it on red and you spin you're only going to double your money so is risky what if it, what if it hits zero yeah, then you're not going to make nothing. So <laughs> if it hits zero, you make nothing. But if it does land, you're only going to double your money. So you might be able to get a Nando's yeah. instead of a McDonald's. Like, is the risk of losing what little money you have left worth the reward of just doubling your money? So I know what you mean. The the, the risk isn't worth it if Shaka yeah. blows up or he's not quite ready. Or if lose, Arsenal just don't then... play well because people will jump on the Xhaka selection regardless of whether he's the reason we lose or not, because people are just at that point with him. Um, you know, uh, uh, that, that's how I see it. That's how I see if it. If he went to Roma, Harry, we'd never have to talk about him again. And like, you know, I don't yeah. mind Jacob, but it's just like the, the constant theme. Like the fact we're even discussing this, that one singular player could be picked out of a defeat that wasn't his fault. And then that would be used to lay at the manager and say, wait a minute, you're not good enough to manage this football club. Like, isn't that just a ridiculous thing? Like, the fact we even think that way. But it, that's just that's how it is. It's Arsenal, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's mad. Exactly. Um, let's, uh, let's get a few questions in the chat box for the last sort of five, six minutes. We'll take a couple of your questions. Um, just while people are getting those questions in, don't forget, if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit the like button. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. In fact, let's check in where we're at in terms of likes because there are currently across the multiple platforms over 250 of you watching us live right now but in terms of likes on the board we've only got 73 let's get that over the 100 mark at least uh, that would really really help and if you'd like to go one further by becoming a member of the channel if you're watching on your computer you can click the join button under the video or if you're watching via your phone or any other device you can click on the link in the description um Mike, while we're waiting for a couple of questions to come in, mm. what's your prediction for the North London derby? Oh, um, well, I'm going to be there. It's my first North London derby in a long, long time. I don't actually remember the last one I went to. It's been a, a good few years, so I'm I'm excited for it. And sometimes I think when you like build up to a game this much and you've been waiting for it for a long time, and Arsenal won a couple of games in a row, you do tend to have a bit of a biased prediction, but 
I think we can beat them. I honestly do. I don't think this iteration of Spurs is anywhere near the best um, that they have been over the last few years. Certainly, like Mourinho and probably Pochettino, obviously, will go down as one of the better teams because they got to the Champions League final. But I just think that this team now is nowhere near that team in terms of ability, spirit or tactics or anything. So I think they're beatable. Um, and I think we'll do them 2-1, to be honest. I do. I'm going to reserve my prediction for tomorrow's... Uh, oh, no, he's teasing to you the, uh, To the lineup show. I'm going to save oh. it for that. Um, I'm going to save it for that. Uh, let's take some of those questions then uh, from the live chat box. Uh, Alistair Braun says, uh, Harry, what do you think Martinelli's best position is? Now, I promised you guys yesterday when I got home from the Wimbledon game that I would be doing an episode today on Gabriel Martinelli. It's a brand new uh, feature on the channel. It's called Player Watch, where we'll be doing short bite-sized episodes, analysing a particular player and talking about a particular player. And one of the big focuses on my Gabriel Martinelli one, which I recorded earlier today, is about his best position. So I'm not going to spoil it. You can tune in at live at 8pm. Well, I say live, it's going to be premiering on YouTube, uh, but it is a pre-record. So if you're asking me questions in the chat and I don't answer, that's why. Uh, but you can you can check that out. That video is dropping at 8pm tonight. So in about three hours time. And the podcast version of that will be available first thing tomorrow morning. That's first thing Friday morning. Uh, Osman Ali says, Harold. Why do people call me Harold? Uh, do you think Ben White will struggle with Kane aerially? Um, Kane is a handful aerially, isn't he, Mike? But I think that the way Arsenal handled Burnley, where they pushed Takahiro Tomiyasu slightly in field, dropped the defensive midfielder into that back line to help, it was Thomas Partey. I think that they'll they'll have a similar kind of arrangement, if you like, uh, to cope with Harry Kane. I think you know you kind of you want Harry Kane outside the box don't you rather than in it you don't really fear yeah. him for pace or anything like that so I think that would be kind of the way to defend uh, against him uh, this is an interesting question uh, from Colt of the Red Barrel and I'll put this one to you Mike he says anyway that Tavares and Tierney could or should be accommodated in the same side with Tierney playing further up maybe um I think that one's difficult to balance because the way we're playing right now, Tierney is the sort of auxiliary winger slash wingback. Um, and I don't really think Tavares is defensively sound. I don't think that's his skill set. I think he's a very sort of raw, but like explosive, a uh, little bit chaotic actually sort of player and likes to play on the front foot. So, I don't know. I think you'd sort of look, you wouldn't really be getting the best out of him if he was playing behind Tierney. I would say actually probably the opposite. Like if we are short in defence and, you know, God forbid Pablo Mari um, is on the is on the brink of coming back into the side, I think what you could actually do is drop um, Tierney back in centre back because he played there quite a few times for us, looks, looks decent, and then push Tavares as the left wing back. I think that would be much more suitable. Um, but again, that's just a sort of backup option. Um, but I think I think Tavares will get a fair few games this season. I think with Tierney's injury record, I think we'll be seeing a, a lot of him. And from what I've seen so far, I know it's not one of the signings that we we didn't touch on him earlier. But I've I've been impressed. I think the the best thing about bringing Tavares in is that he can sort of work and progress under the radar. Like when he plays against Wimbledon, no one expects him to have a blinder, but he's learning. 
and he's getting better. Whereas if he was signed as the sort of primary left back or, you know, a bit like Tomiyasu, where he's the sort of answer to our to our conundrums in defence, I think the pressure will be on him. So taking the pressure off, letting him thrive, do his thing a little bit is, is a good thing. Yeah, agreed. And and I think that this is a not based on anything other than feeling, but I think that there is a good chance that as Kieran Tierney's career develops, we might see him become a bit of a centre-back. And the reason I say that is it's a less athletic role in terms of getting up and down the pitch. And for someone who picks up so many injuries, clearly has a defensive instinct. I think it could be the way to go for Kieran Tierney um, later on yeah. in his career. Uh, let's take uh, one final question. We'll take this one from Luke, who says, if we're in the top six by Christmas, do you think the Arteta out will stop, Mike? The Arteta out will never stop. <laughs> the Arteta out. Let me just say that. The Arteta out will never stop because some people, some fans have got it in their heads that he's, and may, maybe rightly so. We don't, we don't know at, at this moment in time. Some people think it, some people don't, but I just think they've got it in their heads now and that thing will never stop. Like we spoke about it with Xhaka. Some fans hate Xhaka. The fans that hate Xhaka will probably never stop hating him. Like it's just this thing where fans build up this sort of... <sighs> this sort of process in their head, this, you know, where they don't decide they don't like a player and then everything's their fault. So I don't think Arteta right will ever stop. I think top six would be good, but I don't think it would lessen loads and loads of pressure on him because top six, you, you sort of very, you can very easily fall out again with, with a few bad results. So I think maybe if we're, you know, pushing for fourth, that, that's a different question. Because if if it looks like we're challenging for fourth at Christmas time, I think that's real progress. It's not probably not going to happen, but I think that's the only way. Because I feel like it's got to that point where fans are so, some fans are so anti Arteta now. What whatever happens, it's just it's it's not going to change much. They're at the point of no return, aren't they? And yeah, then, I think so. And the thing is, uh, there's nothing wrong with changing your mind over time where you know the evidence that you were once presented with has now changed and is different then you can have a different opinion I, I don't see the reluctance in people to to change their minds or to accept or acknowledge that you know just because something was felt right at the time it doesn't mean that in hindsight it wasn't a mistake you you know people need to be able to differentiate those things and i i don't think they can for the most part and it's really frustrating to hear it um yeah. we're going to leave it there because we are pushed for time but thank you uh, to everybody who's put their questions in the chat box, I promise you uh, we'll spend a little bit more time on questions on tomorrow's podcast um, as we continue our build-up towards the North London Derby. I'll be bringing you my starting eleven preview and prediction. I'll also be uh, having a little bit of fun with Dan DeLuca, regular on our social club show, who is a Tottenham fan. We're going to have a little uh, chat and a little bit of a game uh, where we go head to head and see who comes out on top so we'll be recording that over the weekend as well and of course we'll be bringing you the post-match reaction podcast on Sunday evening as well as the tactical analysis of the game on Monday so uh, lots and lots of content coming your way make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you haven't done so already make sure you become a member if you'd like to support us in bringing you more content and if you're an audio listener please do leave us a review it really really helps my thank you uh, to Mike Mike how can people follow you and keep up to date with your excellent work yes I'm um, 
I'm freelancing at the moment and doing a lot more Arsenal sort of coverage. So head on over to my Twitter. That's where I'm posting a lot of links to my work and general musings on Arsenal and stuff uh, at Mike underscore Stavrou. Make sure you check it out. We'll be back very, very soon with more. Don't forget to check out the Martinelli pod uh, dropping a little bit later on. Until next time, take care. Ciao. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening 